Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life makes sense to me, but sometimes I question everything. Oh, no, I'm not who I want to be. Can I start again and do things differently? Okay, well, that isn't your average screamo song. Now is it, Toby? No, what man? I love the I love that song, but it, it's it's not pump up for the podcast. No, it's not the pump up thing. It's just a kind of a slower start. Uh, I was making a graph this week of of Emory Sound, and I'm just putting like a like these. I'm doing like you know how you see all these graphs these days. I'm actually working on becoming a visual thinker because I'm not a visual thinker. So I'm trying to take yeah. as many thoughts as I have and make them. Uh, into drawings and stuff like that. It's kind of fun. But I'm mapping out all of these sounds. Like uh, on the x-axis is like electronic versus organic. And on the y-axis is heavy versus intimate. And I'm trying to like plot out all these sounds and songs and our albums and all this stuff. But I have that, what we're listening to there, Palmetto, um, way over on the organic side and on the yeah. intimate side so it has Ooh, some like of the same it. stuff that emory does that's devin singing of course but it has it doesn't have the values of like quirkiness or heaviness or industrial sometimes emory has that kind of right. stuff so i'm trying to plot out and like do like these diagrams i've been seeing since COVID hit all these plots and diagrams and curves and now i'm starting to think that way so i'm thinking that might be a useful way to do it but anyway that's a palmetto song which is this uh project that we're doing that features Devin and Toby doing these very intimate type settings and just trying to play around with those things. So it doesn't exactly have its own sound yet, but we know that it's this mature intimacy that is kind of the core of it. So that's what that is. Yeah. Into me, I see. Right? <laughs> Where'd you uh, hear that one? I think on uh, the guru, the love guru or whatever, <laughs> yeah. <with> Mike Myers. <laughs> Into me, I see. That's like the uh, Steve Martin on the baby mama um, yeah. thing when he says, I'll reward you with eight minutes of uninterrupted co- eye contact. Like eye that, contact, yeah, yeah. guru leader kind of guy. That's funny. <laughs> um, okay, I got pre-rolls for today's show. and We'll be off and rolling. Uh, you do have one more week of uh, catching Are You Listening? Uh, this week is our last week. We're wrapping up Crib to Coffin for Emory. And then yep. we're shipping the I'm Only a Man vinyl off. So order one of those. They're up for pre-order right now. I'm Only a Man Better get them. They're going vinyl. quick. Okay, today's show is sponsored by Hims. Thanks to science, hair loss can be optional. Hims connects you to FDA-approved products to treat hair loss. Right now, you can get your first visit for free. Just go to forhims.com slash badchristian. Today's show also sponsored by stamps.com. Stamps.com now offers UPS services with discounts up to 62%. And no residential surcharges. Get a four-week free trial plus free postage and a digital scale by going to stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and enter our code BADCHRISTIAN. 
And that's not all. Today's show is also sponsored by Policy yeah. Genius. Policy Genius compares your quotes from to the top life insurance companies all in one place to help you find the best price. So if you're one of the many people looking to buy life insurance right now, head to PolicyGenius.com. That's it. Ooh, nice work, man. That's a dynamic ad read there. I'll tell you what, you you think a lot about yourself. I like do. you doing you thinking about the music, or, <laughs> you know, you, you do all these, you know, what are you as a dad? What are you as a human? I mean, you are constantly thinking about Matt Carter. Yep. And and also what you put in your body and all stuff. And so like we're doing this BC sixty nine, for those of you, I'm sure y'all have heard it heard it, but it's this health challenge. And Matt, you came up with a good idea. I did. And it it was this uh, mocktail, I guess, where you basically take sparkling water, like bubbly or LaCroix or something like that. And what else do you put in yours? Uh, what's the other thing you put I'll in? I'll give you the recipe I, if you want, but yeah. I debate. I don't think you should call it a, a mock. You're eating a, uh, I'm eating I, right I, now. Yeah, I just sorry. gave you, uh, <laughs> out of all the things you eat, you're eating right now, and it's a Wendy's I thought meat you were going to talk longer, and I had a minute to finish my Good God. Well, my Wendy's triple quarter pound patties, but I don't. Uh, I just hear that smacking, oh, and, and the nose breathing and the smacking. Dev- I've heard it for two, de- <laughs> three decades now. Megan. <laughs> <laughs> and he it just oh god anyway this drink is really great i really love it because we're doing no alcohol for 69 days and this drink i i do a, a splash of like diet coke with bubbly and then serrano hot pepper and you cut up the serrano hot pepper mm-hmm. and uh so what i do uh is that i don't know what you you add anything different in your well, i can tell you the recipe if you just want it straight out it is uh a serrano pepper you can substitute jalapeno it is bitters of your choice. I like Pay Child's yeah. uh, bitters that goes in uh, whatever that is the the, the, yeah. the pink bitters, um, and it I put mint in there, cilantro and other mint. Ooh. But I've even done it with basil as a as a uh, you know modification. So you muddle the bitters, herbs, and pepper together in the bottom of a glass, yeah, and then you add your favorite flavored carbonated water. My favorite is grapefruit. That, yours is so foo foo, and mine is uh, Walmart Diet Coke, Walmart Diet Coke, <laughs> sparkling water, and then a Serrano pepper. Uh, so the one thing you didn't tell me was how much Serrano pepper to put in there. But I, <laughs> I chop up the. So this is me last week. I chop up my Serrano pepper. I cut it in half, and then I just take it in between my two fingers, my thumb and my finger, and I just kind of s- <laughs> squeeze it into there. Right. Yeah. I'm rubbing it in between my fingers, and I squeeze it in there. And uh, if y'all, uh, I, I told this story to my True Man email. You can go sign up for True Man Friday emails on TrueManExperience.com. But, uh, and so I s- twirled it around my fingers and then uh, got rid of the pepper and uh, took a swig. And man, does it light you up. Yeah, it is so drink. fun. Like, I feel it in my, like the tingle in my throat and in my nose. Like, it's mm-hmm. like tingly. Yeah. Like, it, it's like, a, it's like, it gives you that whiskey feel. Exactly. That, you, know, that, that, you have that, you have that whiskey neat. And you just take a swig of it or something. Woo, yeah. boy. That's the point of the drink is it's an active, you know, endeavor to drink it because it's, it's you know, yep. it's really serious. You have to, It takes your attention and you ha- wind up having a relationship with the drink. Yeah. And the relationships are, you know, if you ever have right. one, they're kind of love-hate things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what, well, so so well, this drink is like you got to really be mindful of it because it can, it's got a lot going on. 
So that's yeah, like well, alcohol. So it replaces alcohol really well because it's a very active drink that you have to kind of have a relationship with. And that's how they describe addiction is a relationship to alcohol. Now I yeah. just have a relationship to like a Serrano pepper going up my nose. Serrano peppers. Yeah, yeah you fine. just move relationship. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said relationship because I actually ended up having a sexual relationship <laughs> with this drink. Because as soon as I was done my first <laughs> swig of the drink, I took it. I was like, oh, yeah, boy, I'm ready. I'm going to go. My favorite. Oh, God, I'm getting so fucking old. I love having that drink and sitting in my lawn chair in my garage. <laughs> I mean, that is what I do. So uh, I took my first drink, and I was getting ready to go outside, and I was like, oh, I better go to the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom. I had just had to pee, and then uh, I walked back into the kitchen to get my drink, and uh, I'm like, hey, huh. oh, what's you know, like I'm caught off guard. Yeah. Like you know, you, you like you hear a noise or you feel something. You, I was caught off guard, and I was like, "What in the?" And it was coming from my wiener, and I was like, <laughs> "What are you doing down there? I j- we just peed. You don't have to pee. What are you doing?" And immediately, horror came over me. <laughs> oh no, I didn't wash my hands before I touched my wiener to pee, and now mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it is nuclear bomb burning the flesh. It is unbearable. <laughs> and, and no one in my family cares. And I'm doing the like, oh, 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 oh my God, I don't know what to do. I, 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 what do I do? And I was like, I, just just try and hold off. Just, just hold it. Keep it together. Like when we're taking our cold showers, just don't breathe too fast. <laughs> Take, keep it slow. Don't do it. I was like, oh, and I just couldn't. So I was like, I, I went and took another cold shower and put the head. We had the one that you can move. Put it right on my Johnson. Uh-huh. No, but the, we had this old house and it, it was hot and it, it that lit me up even worse. But the cold water with the shower wasn't enough. So I had to fill up the bathtub with ice cold water and sit in it for 30 minutes. 30. <laughs> well, it's like they say and water the doesn't do relief. anything. You have to like drink milk. I'm surprised you didn't pour milk supposed, on your dong or something. Well, I would, but we only have so much. I told Jess, it's like, listen, I'm going to have to do milk. She's like, you don't have enough for cereal in the morning. You know, this is like six, seven o'clock at night. And I was like, fine. You know, she's just like not helpful at all. So I'm just, my skin is burning off. We got to save that. Save very it. sensitive part of my body. And I'm in agony. My wife won't even give me a glass of milk. Not as important <laughs> as a bowl of cereal. Not even. I know. The kids got to eat. I was like, my, my skin is burning off. You had to nothing. So I sat, it did, the coldness of the water helped. And so I sat there. It gave me just enough relief to sit there. But I sat in that tub for 30 minutes. And this, this is so funny. We just bought this house. But this house is old. It's 1952. And it, the tub is pink and uh, very small. So I'm literally, my, my knees are straight up out of the water. And I'm just sitting there. The only thing that's underwater is my waist down. Just, just my butt. Like, this is my butt and penis and balls are in this water. <laughs> And finally, I got some relief, and I just couldn't. It, it was unbelievable. And I was, I, while I was sitting in the bathtub, I'll be honest, I was like, man, fuck Matt. <laughs> you, you blame me for it. For I not just wa- had to have somebody. My wife wouldn't help me nothing. And I was like, he always has these harebrained ideas, and it's, it works, but you have to do it exactly right, or <laughs> you can't just, can't just do it and enjoy it. And I'm because you know when you hit your head on something you're just mad yep. you just so that's what it was I totally burnt myself it was just it, I was just it was unbearable so finally it, the the worst part about it was I, like after it all happened I was exhausted like I I just and I couldn't I was like still kind of tender <laughs> so I just went to bed <laughs> I didn't even finish the drink I dumped it out you know you dump it out Stupid mad drink 
Yeah, dumbass drink. Matt, tell me. Yeah, they don't. They, you know, what else has he got? Oh, my God. I was just, you had to be mad at somebody. Yeah, I'll so. take the blame for that. But, the, uh, you know, that's why people like you is why we have such a litigious ass society. You know, I should have had to put a disclaimer. I'm right? not giving tax yeah, advice. Yeah, you're right. So, oh, oh, oh. Sorry that you screwed your taxes up because I gave you advice. You know how many times I've heard that? Yeah, I, do, I have heard that a bunch, but I, I can tell my friend, yeah, uh, my, one of my all-time best friends in the world almost burnt my penis off. <laughs> well, I should, I mean, maybe you need a disclaimer about using a knife to cut the pepper, for all I know. No. If you don't know how to handle a pepper, I don't know, it's my fault. I you, I won't, here's what's really funny. Do you know? I mean, I've never had, go ahead. If I give you a chili recipe, I'm afraid you're going to get uh, foodborne illness for handling protocol, so I won't even share a chili recipe with you. Oh, I will. I can't do anything. I'm I'm stay at home dad now. Jess is working full time, and I don't. I'm I try to cook stuff, and I have to sneak around because I make so many mistakes. For example, I double boiled <laughs> eggs that she had boiled. <laughs> I thought I was boiling eggs for my family, but they were already boiled. <laughs> so that the term there would be reboiled. You know, because reboiled because double boiling is actually a, a, a cooking. Term. Oh, it is. Yeah, oh, damn it! I don't even know that. I guess it's reboil. So we had perfectly good boiled eggs, and she was like, "What? What happened to the eggs?" I was like, "Oh, I, me and the kids ate them, and they, but because they exploded in the boiling water because they were already cooked or whatever." And I did. I left them in. You're supposed. To, I didn't know that you also turn the water on boil once as soon as it boils, you stop, and then it it does it. So I kept, I boiled the eggs for five six minutes, and they just were going everywhere. Well, you're, Anyways, you're an old man now, so burnt wiener, hair loss, all that kind of stuff. That's you. I know. That's exactly what I was getting ready to say because, uh, I mean, as I get older, everything's falling apart, right? But there's one company that supported this podcast forever, and I'm talking about Hems. They are so awesome, and they can help men uh, get back some of that youthful, youthful uh, mindset, youthful look, all of that stuff, because 66% of men start to lose their hair by age 35 and once you've started noticing thinning hair, it can be too late. Is that hairline slowly starting to move backwards? Any bald spots yet? Good lord, I know my. I'm worried about my receding hairline. Actually, I'm. I'm probably going to be getting some hems here. So I don't, don't, don't tell my wife. Or I don't know. Anyway, uh, the best way to prevent more hair loss is to do something about about it while you still have some. So seriously, uh, there's no snake oil pills with hems or gas station counter supplements. Prescription solutions backed by science. Hems is created by a guy who knows some men's health conversations are easier online in, than in person. And that's true. Men don't like going to the doctor in the first place. You always hear that. And so especially with hair loss and all kinds of stuff, uh, products that uh, Hems offers. So why go through all those awkward in-person doctor visits? You don't have to do that anymore. Wait in the pharmacy lines. You don't have to do that. Today's Today, Hems is giving you their best offer yet. If you're not happy uh, with your results after 90 days, Hems will give you a full refund. And right now, our listeners can get their first visit absolutely free. Go to forhims.com slash badchristian. That's forhims.com slash badchristian. Now, full refund of price paid available for the first 90 days supply. Refund requests must be made between 90 and, 80, 90 and 180 days after the product shipment is delivered. Prescription products require an online consultation with a medical professional who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. Remember, 4hymns.com slash badchristian. All right, now the next thing. Reva, can you hold uh, Tony for 10 minutes and make edit note there? Sorry. Okay. Okay, great. Okay, cool. All right, go ahead, Tony. 
Now, the other thing that has been amazing in my life, I'm getting healthier, um, not drinking any alcohol, uh, is that sports is back. Yeah. And and it, and it has been so Kinda fun. Back. I've been in, <laughs> Yeah. Well, in some ways it's in better. Ways. Like I mean, in some ways I've really enjoyed it. like NBA, I, I have really enjoyed what they did. I mean, I I know it took a while to get there and there's all these, you know, protocols and precautions that they had to do, but I mean, NBA has been really fun and now football is back. And it doesn't bother me at all that there's no fans there. Now the football's a really interesting product. I mean, it's it to me, it's really just exposed how well designed football is. And if you don't mind, yeah. I, I want to make a point about that okay. particular thing before we talk even broader, more broad about sports. But that football broadcast, the telecast as it is, the way it's been produced over the years has evolved to where it is. It's a you know, turns out wonderfully good production. Like, right. it's it's dialed in. Like, they know exactly how to hold your attention, give you the energy, what the crap. I mean, it's a very good product. That No wonder the NFL is so... It never hit me how... It just said, oh, they're at the game, there's good energy, and, you know, they show the game and talk some. It's right. way more obvious than that when they synth- have to synthesize it. You can see, like, wow, what a good product that is because you know what it feels like to watch a scrimmage on in an empty stadium? Right. Stupid. Right, stupid. 100%, yeah. And so I know it's just the audio, but even they're doing the audio a good job, but that shows you what they're able to really do that they've always been doing to carry that. They're super aware of it. So I think that's real interesting. If you go back to 1994, 1989, something like that, remember how absurd it would have been if somebody suggested to you that watching football on TV would be better than going to the game. Yeah, you would have never in a million years you'd have been totally. like, oh yeah, right, because you you picture yourself looking at the little TV or whatever. Um, right. But the TV's got so good, and that telecast got so good that it is now right. true that many people or most people prefer the telecast to the actual event, and totally. so that made me think exactly of our conversation with Tim McTague about music. That's just where it's going. Basically. Yeah. So eventually music and other things will be, oh, they're better at home. But the one that freaks me the hell out about football particularly is the there's a game beyond the telecast called fantasy football, which actually captivates even more attention than the telecast. Right. Yes. And it doesn't even involve visual, visual humans. Right. And it's actually more engaging and bigger. <laughs> Yikes. I and know. Commands more attention. And now that the stadiums are empty... I can't help but think, well, this is getting weird. Like, you now yeah. just have these men in this place running a, you being the power for some simulated computer game. Right. Like, they're not even there to, like, you just need humans to generate the little computer game on the mobile device that called Fantasy Football. That's right. what their function is now. Like yeah. it not yeah yeah you know what I mean it's a it's a big shift to be honest if it goes farther this direction yeah that's something to pay attention to well it is really <laughs> wild when you think about now uh, so many people want the player to score points not for the team to win but for their fantasy right. team right. points it's so a when layer they score of abstraction higher get, than the event yeah. itself but it actually connects you with the player because when they score, you actually score. The player or the avatar of the player? The <laughs> avatar of the player, <laughs> you know, 100%. Like the human right. not is you know only really involved for the randomness of, like, for the right. tr- just for the reality of it, just so that we don't think it's fake. That's the only yeah. reason the human's involved, because the right. humans are these now crafted characters, become avatars that have touchdown dances and names and right. images, like... 
the the human parts becoming much less important. Oh, I know, and and well, that's why sports will end up uh, evolving and changing. I mean, it will be. I mean, at some point, people will go. Uh, football's too brutal, and it'll be right. you know androids out You've there. You got playing these gladiators out there that they're something. harvesting for right. computer points at some right. point. <laughs> it's really weird. This, but that's why. But I think that's why I actually people always argue about this, like on ESPN or, or you know sports. That you shouldn't call esports sports because they're sitting in yeah. front of a video game playing. But I, I mean, I think it's just as much, like, if not more, <laughs> and it's definitely the future. I yes. mean, that 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 whole thing is growing. Of unbelievable. course, it is. They're going to merge and go and whatever. But they, it's the same as I still don't believe in e-commerce. Like I take all of Amazon out of like the stock market and the GDP because it's not real e-commerce. You know, right, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, no, that, yeah. Who, what do you mean e-commerce? It's not real. I mean, look how quickly it is. It's I, like I, esports. I mean, you know, you get something from Amazon. You don't talk about buying it online anymore or anything. The same way, you know, you it's, right. that that is quickly going away. The way you buy things, purchase things, and the, the entertainment that you watch. You're right. It's all becoming, but it is becoming some kind of Email. avatar. It, it is becoming yeah. the the sports, and also it is becoming some kind of avatar that directly affects you more. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, it used to be my team won, yay, and that was enough, and that's a high, and you're so excited. But now it's becoming even more personal where we won. You know, I won. You know, I, last night uh, I did uh, DraftKings or whatever, and I won $2 because of the, uh, the football game between the, the Chiefs and the Ravens. And I, I bet $1 and won $2. And, I was like, and so I love playing those, th- those games because I get to pick my player, different players every single time, and I bet between $1 and 10 bucks on games and stuff like that. And it's just really fun. And I, don't, I usually always end up losing my money, but it's so fun because I go, whoa. But it's personal. I, it's less of that community why. thing. It's but, less but, of you yes. and 80,000 people doing the all-day event. It's just you getting your personal gaming situation happening. It's my personal gaming sim, just like sitting and playing Mario Kart or whatever mm-hmm. uh, by myself. Uh, everybody's laughing because that's like an old game. What, what's the new games that everybody plays? Star, uh, Star Fox or Star something that <laughs> Matt McDonald's always trying to get Starcraft. us to play? Starcraft. Starcraft? Yeah. I thought it was Star Fox. <laughs> that's no, an old Super that Nintendo a, game. Probably. Oh, God. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, so, but what's really crazy is if my team, I go, I, with that, winning that $2, I said, I picked right. I won. But all I did was just, you know, they were all these dudes that are unbelievably athletically gifted and amazing on stuff. But I picked out which one I thought would do the best. And I was right on some of them. Mm-hmm. And so I played a game too that was the game, and that that you're right. And I I was thinking who will win, not necessarily teams or so. Now that's the other side of it. It's like I'm a huge Green Bay Packer fan, but now I'm more involved in all the teams. I will watch an Arizona Cardinals game because it matters. Because if they can you know do this or that, and that's why betting is so probably popular and going to get more and but more are too you aware of what you're losing by i mean you know you have a total amount of engagement with a th- thing called sports here and you yeah. realize if those are the things that are dominating your sports engagement right there are other things about your sports engagement that are lost sitting sure. in the stands following one team only being able to sit you know the old way of enjoying sports is just going right. away yeah, but you're saying it as a loss. I think it might be a game. Okay, but I, I don't. I'm not. I'm just saying you're. You are set. I mean, it's just it's changing. Your relationship with sports is drastically yeah. changing. Is all my point is, and something's gained and something's lost. Better or worse is up to you. Yeah, I mean, it, it really feels like politics is becoming a sport. Yeah, now well, it is. I mean, it, yeah. it feels like you're you pick. I mean, maybe it always was, and I didn't realize I was 
too dumb to see it, but now I'm seeing it as, oh, you pick your players and you, you pull for them and you do this and that. And you, you know, you go out and Pokemon go it. If I go to this house and, and, uh, you know, uh, canvas this neighborhood i could maybe get my candidate wow. to do this or something like that it, it feels like a game it's almost more that politics is more of the team game whereas sports you like you said you have interested in every team and how Dak prescott how Dak prescott does this week or whatever you know yeah. like you care about sports broadly but politics no it's just te- it's just teams <laughs> i don't i i might disagree with that because everybody wants you to know i voted for this person and that's because i'm brave or i'm good or i'm what like but it's tribal the person- in a team way yeah, I'm yeah, saying. it is. It is, but I mean, yeah. But so is like going to the bar and with, watching it with a bunch of Packers fans or whatever. Yeah, um, but you do that less. You're getting your yeah, team right. energy on your right left, and you're getting your gamification through your fantasy is what I'm suggesting. Yeah. You've, they've crossed into each other in a very weird way, for sure. So, I'll tell you one thing that I don't do less is uh, shit. Do a lot of shit. It sounds like I was about to <laughs> shit. say shit. Shipping. If you hold your tongue, uh, thing. Shipping, and that's because uh, you know we have several different businesses. We got all these merch stuff. I do marriage supply. All of the stuff. I'm always using stamps.com. And you know we've all had to kind of adjust to a new normal, and we have to figure out how to do business as smart as we can and be as smart as we can with our businesses. And that's why stamps.com is so crucial. To my business, actually, thousands of small businesses owners, <clears throat> excuse me, have discovered the benefits of Stamps.com in recent months, and they've been able to keep their businesses running and avoid crowds at the post office, all from their own computers. And I'm an example of that. Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts of up to 62 percent and no residential surcharges. It's so cool. Stamps.com it actually brings all the mailing and shipping services you need right to your computer in the comfort of your own home or office. Whether you're a small business sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or just working from home and need to mail some stuff, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. I love it. I just drop it in my mailbox. Sometimes if I have a big bunch of uh, packages, I don't want to burden my local postman. I uh, go take it to the post office and just drop it straight off. No no waiting in lines or anything. And like I said, with stamps.com, you get great discounts too. Five cents off every stamp and up to 62% off USPS and UPS shipping rates. So right now our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. I love that digital scale. Just go to stamps.com, go, uh, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in bad Christian. That's stamps.com, enter bad Christian. Well, Jim, I was just reading about you and you, you, uh, started this food weekly and in your food weekly, are, are you, is that, would you call that a blog or just a, you, uh, I call that a newsletter. A newsletter. Yeah, so it comes right. out every week to, uh, everyone who subscribes. So we've got up to around 5,000 subscribers now and we launched in February um, but you can also read it on our website. I think email is the main way people get it. Yeah, it caught my eye because it said we're, we're launching Food Weekly because we're in a crisis. That is also an opportunity. The crisis is we've built an unsustainable food system. Uh, and that's what one of the things that we're really interested in. Our food system is unsustainable, you say? Yeah, I mean, it's unsustainable in so many ways. I mean, I tend to... Uh, look at it mainly through the lens of um, carbon emissions because I'm really interested in climate change. Um, And food, you know, from a climate perspective, is this kind of weird thing that we've come to so late in our conversations about climate. You know, when we first started talking about greenhouse gases and all the harm they're doing to the planet, uh, we started thinking about things like our energy systems, 
uh, like the electricity that we use in our homes. We started thinking about transport, uh, the gas we burn in the cars. And we really didn't think that much about food. But actually, when you take a step back and you look at food as a whole, in terms of its contribution to our greenhouse gas emissions, it's about the same as transport and energy. So it's this major emitter that we don't really think of as, as contributing to climate change, but it is. Is Do you think one of the main reasons is uh, right out of the gate, the psychological reason is just that as a, as a human animal is, food is such a high, it's just such a primal need that everybody automatically goes, yeah, but you got to eat. What what can we work on here? You, you know what I mean? Like it just it's easier to automatically say food is such a basic need that you you should not have to worry about that one. It'd be like if sex was bad for climate change. That also would be a hard push. Right. <laughs> that would be bad. That would be bad. As far as we know, it's not. So yeah. that's good. That's but it's similar, win. you know, as far yeah. as a, a basic yeah. human needs. So it's hard to hard to look or, at or does that, blind yeah. spot. Yeah. I think you've nailed it there. I think there's two reasons why we were so so to look at it. One of it is like you say, it's a basic need. Um, and so politically, um, people didn't want to go there. Mm-hmm, you know, exactly. you didn't want to be doing anything to be seen to endanger food supply because that's what starts riots and revolutions. Um, the other reason we didn't go there is just, it's super complicated. You know, there are about, like I like to compare it to the energy system. So there are about 2,000 large uh, electricity generating plants in the US and there's about 2 million farms and there's only a sort of handful of different technologies we use to generate electricity, like gas, solar, coal. But, but think about the diversity of stuff that goes on in farms. And think about the diversity of soil types and all the different kind of foods we have in, in the supermarket now. So this, the food system is just phenomenally complicated. So I think that combination of like, you know, politically it's so sensitive, it's also super complicated. You put them together it's no wonder that it was kind of the last thing that we turned to from a climate perspective. Mm-hmm. I think, too, it's a, a bit of, man, my food, can I just have that freedom free and clear? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let, let me eat what I want. Like, you feel like, uh, you know, it, it does feel like uh, that even though we live in the most technologically advanced time, maybe in history, and uh, that that all this stuff is ahead of us and everything, that I do feel like some of, people are feeling more and more like they're confined, they're being watched, they're... Their rights are being taken away, and so they're. I think when you when you say no, you maybe you should change the way you eat. They think, well, I'm going to do that because I get to at least choose that for myself. It feels like a hurdle for people to jump over, you know, because they think, wait a minute, I can at least choose what I want to eat. I'm a good person, just you know, I'm not bad that I want to eat some meat or whatever, you know. I think that's one of the hurdles as well. I totally agree. It's so sensitive, you know. Think about yeah. the the role that food plays in our lives. All these like you know, your favorite dish that your parents used to cook for you or yes, like, yeah. you know, your favorite local restaurant, the place you go with your family, the, the thing you always order. These are not things that any of us wants to give up. And, you know, you made the joke about sex and it's like, well, thank God that's not bad for the climate. But actually on the food side, some of the things that we love are bad for the climate. This is where things get really tricky because uh, beef, which you know we're pretty fond of in this country yeah. is actually really bad news for the climate so we may i mean there's a big debate right going on going on right now but we likely do have to stop eating so much beef there are real sacrifices to be made mm-hmm. 
Well, so th- when you get to there, I, that's already like I, that. That's a big mm-hmm pause for me because <laughs> I'm the biggest beef person you can imagine. I mean, I eat. Pr- to be honest, I eat primarily beef is the main thing that I consume. Um, if I only ate one thing, it would be just beef, to be honest. So uh, I'm open-minded and want to be open-minded, but I already feel the nervousness of being open-minded to somebody that's going to tell me beef is bad, or I can't have it, and how long till it's gone or whatever, or it's going to be outlawed or the government's going to tell me I can't have it. All those things terrify me, to be honest, um, which is why I wanted to talk to you. But how can... I'd be put at ease to even enter into this conversation. Um, I want to think about it like if climate change is uh, as disastrous as we believe it to be, and I do believe that, I'm very concerned about that, I tend to want to focus on the other areas that I think, you know, matter. But right off the top, is it going to be a personal consumption choice thing? Or is there some, I mean, who are, you know, who are we going to look to to, help with this? Is it going to be governmental control or personal choice, or is it just going to happen on its own? Yeah. What are, the, what are, the, are they coming after me specifically? It's such an interesting question. I mean, almost certainly no one is coming after you and your burgers <laughs> and your steaks or whatever it is. Like, like, think, if you think about the political reality of, of this country, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and we saw actually, so when the Democrats released some of their climate change plans earlier this year. That was a response response from some Republicans. You know, you probably heard this stuff like the, the Dems are coming to your burgers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That is that is not going to happen. You know, I'm not like getting into supporting one party or the other here. It's just like no politician is going to outlaw beef. It would be completely insane. So they, that's not an option. Um, but it's, it is a really good question. Like, what do we do with this? What do we do about this? If you think climate change is real and you really, really love beef, like, you know, what should mm-hmm. we do? Um, I'll, I'll just like throw a few things out there. I think ultimately it's a personal choice, but I'll throw a few things out there. Um, so what about, for example, plant-based beef alternatives? So have you had an impossible Whopper? Not interested. (laughs) You know, so I'll just say from my point of view, um, it's just that I am coming from more of the nutrition point of view of it and have, I feel super frustrated to have, feel like I've been institutionally misled nutritionally most of my life and felt like a bad guy for trying to try different diets and things and have really come to the conclusion of what is healthy um, for for my body personally and what works for me, um, and so I f- f- think there's a ton of science going that way, and it's it, and I do really believe that meat and that kind of natural mix of protein and fat and calorie density is a big part of hu- the human story to get where we've been with our brain size and everything else. So I feel that is like finally I can afford to have beef and beef is okay for me to eat and I don't feel guilty or bad about eating bacon or whatever it is and I have a diet that's working and I and you know all the while the animal rights stuff I know is I completely I'm am really pulled by that and then you're going to add climate change to it too and so man do I feel frustrated about that pickle that's that's really my point of view all right so you're not into you're not into the plant-based alternatives like I'll just I'll just quickly say I think the, like try the Impossible Whopper. I'm surprised at how good it is. I think a lot of these plant-based meats are not great. I don't think they come 
close to the experience of eating meat. But I do think the, the Impossible Whopper, that's the company that makes it. Give it a try. All right. Pardon the interruption in the conversation there, but just consider me the voice in the back of your head reminding you to do something that you've been meaning to do and putting off because that's the boat I was in. Specifically, this is a good time to do that because September is National Life Insurance Awareness Month. But with everything going on right now, a lot of people aren't even aware. Um, some people don't even know if it's possible to buy life insurance, which I didn't know either. I was worried about it at the beginning of the pandemic is when I was looking for life insurance. And I was thinking, I bet they don't even, I bet you can't even get it right now. But it wasn't true at all. The good news for me the good news for you too and that's still easy to shop for life insurance right now and if you have loved ones dependent on your income you probably should i had a very pleasant experience with policy genius it's an insurance marketplace built and backed by a team of industry experts now here's how it works step one you head to policygenius.com and in minutes you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price step two apply for your lowest price that's pretty simple. Step three, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape. That is the best part, and it's really true. I didn't have to do anything difficult. Once I started the process, it was very, very easy. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance company. So if you hit any speed bumps on the application process, they'll take care of everything. They even have policies which allow eligible customers to skip the in-person medical exam and do it over the phone. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across over 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. So if you need life insurance, head to policygenius.com right now to get started. You can save $1,500 or more a year by comparing quotes on their marketplace. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Okay. But let, so let's move on to something else, though. What about, have you heard about regenerative grazing? Tell no, me about I, that. I, I was reading about that. Oh, Tell us about it. Okay. So that, that's really interesting. So most beef... Uh, is produced in the conventional system, like the, the cattle spend some time eating grass and then toward the end of their life, uh, they go to a feedlot. Um, and a feedlot is basically a concentrated farming operation where they're fed, the cattle are fed this high protein diet, like lots of corn and other grains, fatten them up really quickly, super efficient, um, and then they go to slaughter. Uh, and this is one reason why beef is so affordable because it's a very, very efficient process. However, that system is also largely responsible for these huge greenhouse gas emissions we get with beef. Mm -hmm. Now, there's another way of doing it, which is called regenerative grazing. It's this emerging technique. It's really, really interesting. And it kind of mimics the relationship that cattle used to have with grasslands. So like, the, you know, the great grasslands of the U.S., much of which have disappeared, as you probably know, they used to be grazed uh, by buffalo and bison historically. Now, those animals had this kind of symbiotic relationship. They would uh, eat the grasses and then deposit the manure on the grass. And those two things would actually fertilize the soils and, uh, and cause the grasses to put down deeper roots and store more carbon in the soils. So what you try and do with regenerative grazing is, is try and basically mimic that relationship on a ranch. Um, so what the ranchers do is they have the cattle graze on a plot of land then they cordon off that plot of land and move the cattle onto another plot. So the cattle are constantly ro rotating uh, around the ranch. And that process has been shown to draw down carbon from the atmosphere and store it in soils. In fact, in some places, in, in some experiments, these are studies that have been done, 
they've shown that regenerative grazing, the process actually draws down so much carbon dioxide from the atmosphere that the beef that it produces is carbon negative. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but it actually means like that product as a whole, when you consider all the emissions associated with it, um, is actually draws down more carbon from the atmosphere than is produced in the production of the product. That's so you can, you can go and buy a regenerative steak or a regenerative ground beef, and you can know that that is a carbon-negative product. So there you go. You've got guilt-free beef consumption. Maybe it was it costs 5% more. <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure it's uh multiples um and then i bet you there's also a you know uh a volume problem like you couldn't do it at scale probably right these are the big questions it costs about twice as much right now mm-hmm. that's not so bad speaking yeah that's not so bad at um all. it's not so bad but you know i think it's it really depends where you are right it really depends on what your income level beef is cheap you know mm-hmm. so it's relatively cheap so for a lot of people doubling the price is okay uh, for a lot of people, it's not. So it's not, you right. know, it's a solution. That the scaling of that solution is going to be hampered by the price for sure. Right. Um, it's also pretty small. I you know, I don't know the fraction of, of U.S. ranch land that's regeneratively grazed. I'd say it was, it was probably less than 5%. It's really small. And there are questions about can you scale it up in a way that doesn't use more land and in a way that's economic? Although, you know, and I don't think we can answer those questions, but there's some really... You know, what we know so far is quite encouraging. So I think you, you could see the emergence of beef that's priced at a premium but comes with a much, much lower emissions tag. I like that as a start to a solution. How about the lab meats? Does that seem reasonable to you on any time horizon that could matter with climate? Yeah, I think so. I think that's super interesting. I mean, I visited uh, a company here in San Francisco a year or so ago, and they showed me a chicken nugget that they'd grown in the lab. Uh, it was kind of like all wrapped up in this sci-fi packaging. And I think that nugget that I looked at uh, cost $50, they said, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, that tells you how far away it is from the market. But, you know, a couple of years ago, the same technology could have produced a chicken nugget and it would cost like $5,000 or something in that range. So the price is falling rapidly. And and the really exciting thing there is that you're, you're talking about a process that involves no land. We didn't. We should go back to the land question in a minute. Um, but you're talking about an extremely emissions-friendly, you know, tiny land-use process that produces real beef or real chicken, you know, depending on how you find real, define real. But it is like it is real animal tissue that's being produced. It's just being grown in a lab. But it's cruelty-free in the sense that it was never attached to the, the brain of an animal that has neurotransmitters it's, that feel pain or It's anything. just the flesh, right? That's right. You know, it's based – what they do is they extract stem cells, so these, these cells, that, cells that can replicate again and again um, from animals. And that's really the only link you have to the animal, and that's, that's a pretty sort of uh, trivial process. You know, there's, there's not really an animal welfare issue there. So you extract the stem cells – and you just grow them in the lab in the same way that you could, you know, you grow, um, you know, cheese and other things. You know, we've learned how to produce these foodstuffs in a lab by learning how to harness cell division. You've got the same thing happening here, but it's meat. It's growing in the lab, not on the animal. 
I think one thing that's fascinating about that is just like as a meat guy, you know, if I'm looking at a ribeye steak or whatever, I'm looking at it's marbling and it's, you know, there, there's that, it's like wood grain or something. There's just the animal itself and the exact cut and it's, it's romantic. It hangs up in the butcher shop and it's like, oh, that's a beautiful chop right there, you know. And uh, and I think it's neat. Like at first, the, the lab meat's going to be not as good and, and you know, it's going to be hard to simulate that organic thing. But in the longer term future, it really opens the door to whole new configurations of meat that don't exist on the cut of an animal. If you think about it, like the the texture flank steak with the marbling of this, or like you could start to create, you know, in time Hybrids, things that would yeah. be quite interesting that don't even exist that are beyond what we can harvest from animals. So I am kind of excited about that one. But how, do, how does how dream. does something how does uh, corporations like that if it, say if there were no cows, but it, energy used to make to grow enough fake meat or lab meat for it's not it, fake it, meat. It's not fake. It is real meat, but it's lab meat. It's, it was grown not on a, a cow's body. But uh, isn't there still some energy and pollution aspects to that as well? Yeah, definitely. And this is a bit of an open question right now. So certainly, some of the early studies of this showed that the process was pretty energy intensive. Um, and of course, if that energy, if that electricity comes from, say, coal or gas powered. Uh, stations, then you've still got a big emissions problem. Two sort of counter arguments there. One is we're getting rid of those carbon sources off our grid, although it's taking time. You know, we are moving, I think, towards um, a pretty much like close to 100% renewable grid. Um, And the second one is it's really hard to judge how much energy something requires at the, when, when you first start doing it you know sure. the analogy i used to use i like to use is like do you remember those old cell phones do you remember like the first ever cell phones yeah they're about mm. the size of a brick they were just <laughs> right. like ridiculous and no one used them um and and now like look at the things we're using like you just it, it would be hard to imagine you could go from that brick-like object to to what we have today Think about this food in the same way because it is technology. This is what we're talking about. This food that's grown in the lab is another kind of technology. So what you've got today, pretty emissions intensive, may not taste too great, certainly doesn't have all that marbling you talked about, but it's just like version 1.0. Mm-hmm. Where are we going to be in sure. 10, 20 years? You know, we don't know, but it could be, or probably, probably will be dramatically better. Would the model be that one day we're at the replicator on Star Trek, though, for just, you know... That's just a obviously a, a concept, but I mean three yeah, D like printing, 3D printer, bio yeah. me. I mean, you know, that can't be hundreds of years away. Yeah, I mean, we're getting getting to sort of the edge of what I know because I tend to focus on stuff that has like a more immediate commercial horizon. But yeah, mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of thing is super interesting. And there is what I'm fascinated by, which is related to that, is this kind of DIY food tech moment uh, mm-hmm. movement so people are buying these printers at home there's all these forums you can join where you can learn to synthesize your own ingredients some of them sort of growing them at home in the same way that companies are growing wow. uh, these cells in a lab and so people are kind of are going to be and probably are now concocting these kind of new foodstuffs that, that you referred to and i don't know yeah we could see an explosion in in the creation of different types of food that we we don't even can't even imagine right now. Yeah, yeah. In one of your articles, you were talking about some of the tech companies. You wrote about four different ones. Uh, I might can't even pull it up, but one was uh, carbon waste vodka, <laughs> right? Some something like that. One that was cre- creating something like that. Yeah. So this is the, there's another kind of movement to say um, 
how can we harness the power of microbes to, to draw down carbon from the atmosphere? Um, because a lot of the, you know, the food we eat today, um, or sorry, a lot of the ingredients could in potentially be made in a lab. Um, you, can, you can use naturally occurring microbes or you can genetically engineer microbes um, to create some of the ingredients that we use. And so uh, yeah, I, I, what I think you're referring to is, uh, I forget the name of the company, but they produce a vodka uh, based on um, ingredients that were synthesized in a lab, um, um, synthesized by microbes that draw down carbon from the atmosphere. So that, again, that's a carbon negative vodka. Um, so you can imagine pretty, you know, you could have a burger and uh, your vodka on the side and, right. and the whole experience can be good for the planet. Yeah, save the planet by taking another shot and make it a double. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Well, let's get back to the land question you were talking about. The the use, are you, you talking about uh, cattle ranches farm, or just farming? I live in uh, Illinois and I'm in the middle of cornfields and they're everywhere. Right, right. So this is a big question. So... You can kind of imagine this future that we've been talking about that maybe you use more regenerative grazing, you would do other stuff in ag to reduce emissions. Um, and we can, and, and beef stops having this really huge carbon footprint. But there's also a missed opportunity here if we don't switch away from beef. And that's the fact, that's to do with the fact that beef production requires an enormous amount of land. I, I don't have the, the statistics to hand, but compared to like the number of calories it provides to our diet, it's, it's, it's the land that it takes up is hugely outsized. Um, yeah. So you have to ask the question like, what if we ate less beef? What about all that land that would free up? And one thing that we know is that if we ge- regenerate ecosystems, and plant new forests and, and do things like that, uh, you can pull down an enormous amount of carbon from the atmosphere. So another thing to think about when we think about beef is like, well, hold on. What if I could cut my beef production in half, say, right? If everyone did that, think of the land it would free up. That's an enormous amount of land because a lot of that corn you see there in Illinois goes to feed beef, right? Right, So all those fields, what if some of them could become forests or grasslands? Well, then you've got this amazing natural system that's pulling down carbon from the atmosphere and helping us to reverse climate change. So when we think about beef, it's not just reducing emissions from the system. It's also the opportunity cost of just having less of the system in the first place and doing something else with that land. So one uh, something that happens when, you know, there's obviously the thing so complex that there's unintended consequences just all the way through and through from on the surface level jobs and stuff like that. But even if we started switching off beef, uh, it would get replaced with something. I mean, it's a lot of calories. So what, you know, what problems might that cause? Like, it, what if everybody jumped to fish? You know, we seem to have a fish problem too. Um, do yeah. we have a, do or we just have a food problem? I mean, is it just, you know, are we straining the max of this planet here with the amount of human beings trying to eat 2,500 calories a day? Like, is that just in itself? Like, we need a, a third way out or something? I mean, I think you, you've hit upon a really point here, a really important point. So, we're not necessarily straining what the planet can do. Or let me put that another way. We don't have to strain what the planet can do. So there are organizations that have looked ahead and said, okay, by 2050, we're going to have something like 2 billion more people. You know, so we're going to have to ramp up food production quite significantly. But we can't go around 
cutting down any more forests or converting mm-hmm. land, more land for agriculture. We don't have that option anymore. Um, so how are we going to do that? How are we going to live within planetary boundaries is the phrase that people often use. And that's when you get to this idea that we do have to change our, our diet substantially. So like no matter what we do with regenerative grazing and other emissions reductions, we probably do have to eat less meat, less red meat in particular, if we're to stay within these planetary boundaries. But they're not, these diets don't say like, don't eat meat, go vegan. That, that's a bit of a myth, a kind of scare story you sometimes hear out there. Yeah. But they do say eat less meat and particularly eat less red meat. And then replace that with, uh, you know, things like grains and pulses, uh, which again, this may be not what you want to hear. <laughs> you know, I, well, I, I don't, that's I don't what know I can't how, understand. how lentils you are. <laughs> no, it's not that. And I, it's just, you know, I can't even, it just feels like it, it, you know, we're in this time of institutional breakdown. We're already, we're already there. So it's just, it's weird because it really is red meat has been a villain before. And now it seems to have been vindicated a lot from the health and nutrition point of view, only to become a villain in another realm. So I'm just wondering, did they know before, is it like, what's the, you know, like, is it the whole thing? I mean, it's just, it's just, that's, I find that fascinating. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And people are, people are really confused by nutrition. And I think um, that's because the messages keep changing. You know, like one day butter's good for you and then it's not good for you and red wine's mm-hmm. bad for you and then chocolate's right. fine. It's, it's right. really confusing. Nutrition is um, an inexact science to, you know, to be generous. You know, not that, it's not that like nutritionists are stupid or doing bad things. It's just really, really complicated to, to monitor the effect of food on our bodies in, in a way that produces rigorous results. But the, what we're talking about here in terms of emissions that, that's a different kind of data set that we're talking about. And that's an easier system to study when you're at least counting, just like where do the emissions come from? What impact do they have? So that science, like we know that beef contributes an outsized you know, amount of greenhouse gas emissions. I'd, I've never heard anyone sort of really push back on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are big questions about what we do about that. Right, but still, in any case, there feels like a brewing battle between. Uh, it feels like that will be politicized. You know, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm afraid meat will be politicized and beef will for this. I mean, I think I understand all this territory and count myself as an open-minded person. I'm willing to flex my diet. I'm willing to, you know, but the it'll seem like as the nutrition science continues to vindicate fat as a primary fuel and more protein heavy diets and this gets more and more results in because now it's just kind of just gotten out of the cage where people are are really embracing that and so i think you're going to see more and more results where it's clearly the better way to eat you know at the same time that there's a there'll be a you know semi-political movement shaming that same oh no that just feels so such a tragic thing so i'm very interested in other ways to mitigate i just hope it doesn't become a politicized thing because i think it's legitimate yeah i i think politicizing is a dead end you know and um the 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 attempts to politicize it i've seen so far i've actually been more about scaremongering 
um, mm-hmm. in this country because, like I say, it's you, you're not no politician is going to say take away your burgers. It will be a disastrous move. Yeah, but the other forces they, they, they you can attach that so easy to right wingers or toxic masculinity and red meat eaters and you know like it's just going to be so yeah. easy to do that. You know, so it will happen. You know? Yeah, I I think and and I I'm sort of saying I don't think politicians are doing that, but I I think probably some other groups are, and I think you're mm-hmm. right. There's a kind of lazy stereotype out there. That, um, yeah, it's the folks on the right who are eating all the beef, you know, and all these uh, kind of quinoa salad eating liberals <laughs> are saving the planet. And yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't seen any data on whether whether that's true. I mean, I I live in San Francisco. I see a lot of people eating carne asada burritos around me. They seem to really enjoy them. Um, so I don't I don't think that it, it's anything like as simple as that. And I don't think I think that's a really un helpful way of looking at it so yeah i think people i really hope people don't approach the problem that way mm-hmm. yeah i hate it but when, I'm, when, yeah. I'm curious to hear your thoughts because you're you know you're really like beef is obviously an important part of your diet and something you really enjoy so based on everything we've just been talking about like what are you you know where do you think your responsibilities lie here well i i would like to retain my blind spot as long as possible <laughs> is what I prefer, but I understand that it might get dealt with soon. But I, I, again, I've already been holding off the, the cruelty aspect of this, which I think in a landslide is going to be. Uh, I think that animal rights are, you know, I think they have a big victory coming in, like the civil rights movement did at some point. I think there will be an animal rights time from which we look back on all of what right now is terrible. So I understand, I think we're living in the end of that time before animals get a decent upgrade. Um, so I think that's going to be a big factor. So I'm already primed to, you know, I'm looking to the future to solve this. But with that longer scale that I try to think in, I'm also looking for, uh, you know, I'm looking for a Hail Mary from a carbon sequestration technology or something to solve climate, too, to alleviate the tension. I don't want it to come from my consumption habits, you know, I, I want the climate change to get solved some other way at this point, other than shaming me or me having to pay a ton of money or pay a bunch of taxes or do a bunch of symbolic stuff that shows that we care about the climate that doesn't do anything. And I'm hoping some brilliant minds and some new thinkers will figure out ways to sequester it under the sea or draw it down, you know, or put, a, I don't know, something out of the box solution and and, you know, I'm hoping not to really have to face the, the problem that we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah. I think, Jim, I, I would say I think that Matt and I both are pretty open minded. I'm probably more uh, in, in the sense of I'm OK with, you know, if I, I will try uh, the ult- ultimate Whopper, or, uh, all, all that stuff doesn't bother me. Uh, and I'm even open to plant based. I think the issue is it really does feel like it hits in you each person personally, like. How how do you come back from just saying, man, I'm just making dinner. I'm just trying to get through a pandemic. I'm just trying to, you know, drive to work and back. And people are telling me my car, my SUV's bad, even though I got three or four kids. Or you know, it's all it's a little bit of that shame stuff. I think is what ends up happening there more than what I really like is that yeah, the tech side. I'm super open to the tech side, which I believe is a big hurdle for probably the right, the South. Where you know we're we're from originally from South Carolina, and. It, like my family members, the, the tech stuff, I'm not going to eat some burger made in the lab, even though their burgers aren't, aren't healthy and they got them at Walmart. And has, who knows what in the hell is inside the thing anyway? But I think a lot of that is it feels like 
they don't understand it, so it must be bad. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I do think there's a, there's a kind of yuck factor with the the lab grown meat that that people are like potentially resistant to. But then I think your point about like where where do their burgers come from? Like, right. have you spent any time looking at the supply chain in in animal right. production? It's not right. a nice business, you know. Yeah, no. I don't think many more generations can go by without without knowing without that knowledge seeping into it. So I'm hopeful that yeah. we'll evolve as a you know, together to our preferences, you know, our preferences right now, you know, we all take the cheaper route still. Like I, I hear of the people that hunt and buy the freest range meat or whatever. And I can't, I mean, that's my next step basically would be, yes, I'll pay double. I'll get the stuff. I'll buy my own cow. Like that's my next, that's my next step. You know, as the pressure comes up from the things that I care about that seem to matter. So that's kind of the state that I'm in, but for day to day, I'm not ready yet to face it. No, I mean, I think, but to go back to your point about like you, you said, I hope people are not shamed into doing it. And I think that takes us down to the, down the road that you talked about before about blaming one particular group, particularly blaming, you know, men or, or people are on the right politically for this problem. That's a bad way forward. A, A much better way forward is to give people different options. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what I love about impossible. Um, because so Pat Brown, the the guy that runs Impossible, he's a vegan, you know, and he's totally upfront about that. He wants animals out of the, the food system. You know, he's completely open about that. But he's a super smart guy and he knows that the way to do that is to come up with an option that's just as good as an animal, but isn't from an animal. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea behind the Impossible Burger. Um, so, and I think, so I think that plus giving you the option of like, okay, if you really want to buy beef, maybe you pay a little bit more for stuff that's that's low carbon or carbon negative, you know, giving people different options. And then the, the third bit, you know, I think ultimately part of this is a bit of nudging from the government. You know, I don't think it can be left completely up to the market and technology to solve it. I do think the government has to come in and say, look, there's some things that we do have this outside cost, outsized cost on the environment, you know, driving, flying, eating burgers. So if you're going to continue doing those things, we're going to charge you a little bit more for them in the form of a carbon tax or something else like that, basically to help pay for all the repercussions, you know? And this is, this is a very sort of sensible thing, mainstream thing in economics that we do all the time in other walks of life. We're just not really familiar with doing it uh, in connection to the environment. But is the, is the, is the nudge there with the carbon tax – it's fun. I mean, it's very easy in economic terms to measure that when you tax something, its consumption will go down. But is that, you know, I don't think people at this time feel that that money is used for anything that makes a difference. Is that what I bet you the sentiment is on that one? So it seems yeah. like just another shame penalty, like uh, sodas for poor people, and they, now they have to pay more to buy their Coke because they won't stop anyway or whatever. It feels like a little bit of a punitive tax unless we believed that the money raised from from that nudge behavior would have a double effect of in getting the behavior nudged in the right direction and that money be put to some effective use. Do you have a feeling about like what, you know, from the big pol- political side and everything – you know, is there if we have more money to spend, what what would we do with it? How can we improve the situation? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right about that lack of faith in taxes, and it's really interesting um, 
you know, that Biden has this plan to, uh, you know, has pretty aggressive climate change plans. They don't involve a carbon tax. And uh, despite the fact that for a long time that was like what most people turned to, what most economists on the right and the left wanted. But I think politically there's just this realisation for the reason that in large part that you just said that people don't believe that money will be used in the right way. We've lost so much trust Mm -hmm. in government at this point that no one wants to be taxed extra because they don't trust the government to do the right thing with it. I'm not saying that that lack of trust is wholly justified, but that is kind of where we are. So, but that's not the only lever that governments have to pull. So um, doesn't, there, there are billions spent worldwide. It probably amounts to billions just in this country alone every year um, on subsidies for agriculture. And those subsidies really for the last 50 years or so in the US have been directed towards uh, creating bigger, ever more efficient farms, but without any concern for emissions, really. And in fact, without any, any concerns or much concerns for farmer welfare, you know, so many, I mean, you said you live in Illinois, so you've probably seen this, so many small farms suffering, farmer suicides on the increase, yeah. people going out of business. Um, that's a direct result of uh, government policy that favors big farms so what we can do is pull that lever let's change things like uh, um, crop insurance for example is a vital part of agriculture farmers need it let's change that to favor uh, ways of farming that are less emissions intensive I like the sound of that. I mean, that that seems right to me because it seems like in agriculture has been a consolidation, like same as the big tech companies consolidate, the bigger farms, and then you start to get more less, you know, more of the monocropping and the bigger industrial stuff all the way up, all the way up, and then that's bad. That's because the 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 thing on farmer subsidies would you would think is oh it helps farmers and we got to keep that because it's our jobs and we're farming people out there, but it's even hurting them. Yeah, I mean, um, crop subsidies are like kind of one of those weird things that uh, no one thinks about unless you're in farming, but it's just hugely impactful in terms of shaping the way our farming works and the way that our, well, the way the Amer- America looks is, is a direct result of those policies. And I, yeah, I and many other people would like to see them reformed so that there was more diversity in terms of size of farms. It wasn't dominated by these uh, these big ag- agricultural outfits, and also like seeing reform to introduce more conservation practices, which we can do without increasing the cost of food. I mean, I think that's always been a pushback. But many of these practices, the regenerative ones I've been talking about, um, actually probably increase yields, in- increase profit for farmers without using more land. And are they a result of just you know corporatism and lobbyists and stuff like that, that, that the subsidies are the way they are that favor the bigger? Yeah, that's a that's a big part of it. And I, I don't, you know, just to be transparent, I don't know enough to do a sort of in-depth analysis here. You know, from what I understand, um, it is partly to do with a concentration of power around, for example, um, farm bureaus um, and their link to some of the companies that sell, that are, are sort of invested in the, the big monoculture, big ag system we have right now. So the seed producers, the fertilizer producers, these are powerful lobbyists, and the system is working well for them. So they're reluctant to see it reformed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I, one of the things you wrote about, I'm kind of changing the subject here a little bit, though, that really uh, was enlightening to me was about landfills and food waste in landfills. Um, I I did not even that doesn't cross my mind 
I, I just think about food just you throw it away and it's gonna it, it's better to throw that away than plastic or something like that but you you're talking about a lot a lot of the emissions especially like with methane uh from these landfills because we throw our food in there and can you speak a little bit about how much food waste is going into our landfills yeah the, uh, this is a completely crazy situation so about uh, um i believe that the food and other organic matter, so like yard trimmings, for example, are the biggest single source of input into landfills. Um, and the, the crazy thing is that you could be doing, or we could be doing something else with that material that would be way less harmful and actually more beneficial. It actually has like real value to it. So what happens now is that the food and the other organic matter goes to landfills, it decomposes, and then it releases methane. And methane is, is more than 30 times more powerful when it comes to trapping heat than carbon dioxide. So it's a serious greenhouse gas uh, contributor. Um, and so we have all these methane emissions from this rotting food, from landfills. But the thing is, if we could find a way of diverting that organic matter, stopping it getting to landfills, we can send it to composting facilities and then it can be used to produce compost, which is a valuable resource, which you can then you can sell to, to farmers and it can enrich their soils and improve yields. Um, so there's enormous potential here, but we're locked in this crazy system. And it's partly because um, the companies that take away your garbage are paid for every truckload that they drop off mm. at the landfill. Mm. So diversion is not what they want to hear because that is going to eat into their profits. And I I don't say this to blame them. They didn't invent this system and they have a, you know, if you come along to someone and say, Hey, I've got this, this change that's better for the environment, by the way, it's going to reduce your wages by 50%. No one (laughs) votes for that. Why should they? Um, So we, we do need to reform, but it's probably going to have to come from government. Uh, it's not obvious to me what the what is composting, how it's different than landfill. It's, it's or certainly maybe counterintuitive to think rotting food is going to rot somewhere. Isn't composting rotting food? What, how, just don't understand the difference. Yeah. So well, if you take stuff to a landfill, everything just rots together, um, all in one pile. So you know, probably in the middle of it, you have got you for organic matter, but it's surrounded by everything else. You know, glass, bits of paper, bits of plastic. It's basically useless. You know, that's why I have to leave it in the landfill. If you can just take out all the organic matter, keep out any contaminants, take it to a composting facility, and they process it there. And again, I don't want to. I'm not like super up on how the technology works, but I think right. the principle is that you, um, the organic matter decays. Um, using it's exposed to less oxygen and forgive me if any of your readers listeners know how wrong this is because like i said this is at the edge of my knowledge but i believe that it, what happens is there's less oxygen in the system so it decomposes in a different way and what you get out at the end of it is this is a very rich uh, compost that you can use to fertilize crops yeah i think on here it says it could it could capture the equivalent of around three billion tons of carbon dioxide by 2050 so I, I like that idea. And in fact, one of the things that always, I mean, I am, I understand the idea of recycling. I really dislike our system of recycling. How It doesn't seem efficient. It seems very strange to me. I don't it's know. Crooked, how, I'm yeah, sure it, of yeah, it. <laughs> it, yeah, it seems very bizarre. Like it's not, it doesn't seem as helpful. And I think that's part of the problem with a lot of people. Now I got to, I'm already separating my trash and that, you know, and you're right. Like one of the, the problems is we don't see the outcomes. You know, with even with like uh, you know global warming, climate change, 
uh, it's always, well, in this in many years away, you'll see something good. And it's hard for people to see that now. I think that's one of, once again, one of the hurdles is we don't trust. Like, I don't know, do, am I supposed to trust my uh, folks at the local garbage company? I, I'm not saying they're bad people, but what what is their goal to make you know to make money? They want to they want to make a different kind of green, not the earth green. They want to make the the dollar green, you know. But yeah, that, it, so we going. I, I was just gonna say, from my view, I analyze the the waste management industry as one that you have to take great skepticism toward because it's a whole industry whose job is to take away your problems, and then recycling is this whole psychology of a way to not feel guilty about your waste and then it's monetized and it's the grossest thing is trash where you automatically don't want to look at it or deal with it or think about it. It's just such an area and it's tied up with government and it's, there's no, you know what I mean? Like it's a very high area where corruption would occur naturally and there's a lot, you know, there's so much tied up in what the energy people have around recycling is so strong and it's very often not logical or backed up with anything, but people feel so strongly about recycling with no understanding of its inefficiencies or, you know, outcomes or other things that it just, it's such a weird area that I don't think anybody's almost ever thinking very clearly about it. And then, therefore, it's easy to get screwed up. But the main thing about that whole deal is why is all the food getting wasted that, that we're talking about uh, half that's of that's true. probably, I mean, not half of it, but a lot of it is beef and other things that took energy and resources to make in the first place. And then we're throwing it away. And then we say, Oh, I put my plastic in here. So I did something good. That's crazy. Right. <laughs> like, what are we wasting everything for and using it all the time for that's cr- You should, you know, that's a way to not feel guilty about you being a crazy consumer that wastes unbelievable. You have a blue recycling bin. Now you feel better. This, yeah. yeah, this is totally, totally crazy. So, you know, you probably heard the numbers. About a third of all food goes to waste. Yeah, so that's, just that's an incredible amount. If you, if you, <laughs> uh, there's this great comparison that says, like, if, if all that food, if you can think of that as a country, then it is the world's third biggest emitter, only behind the US and China. Wow. So it's totally crazy. And it dwarfs things like, you know, people get anxious, like, Oh, should I should I buy an electric vehicle? Should I maybe fly less? It's like you could just not waste food, and you mm. would probably have more of an impact than doing those things, depending on how much you waste. Obviously, um, and again, this is something we've come to really, really late. You know, we're so used to living in this world where there's this oversupply of food. We buy yeah. all this stuff. It sits in the back of your fridge. It goes off. We throw it out. We don't. We just don't think about it. And food is cheap. You know, the proportion mm-hmm, yeah. of our incomes that we spend on food now is far less than it was 50 years ago. So we're, we don't face the financial penalties for doing this. And the penalty that we do face, climate change, is, is in, almost impossible to link that to the fact that you threw away some, you know, moldy bread or whatever. Um, so food waste is a, it's a big problem and a really hard one to tackle. And I think we need... You know, well, one way of tackling it at home, at least, I think, is just to make people aware of the size of the problem and just to get them thinking about taking really small steps to tackle it, which, of course, I mean, do also lead to you saving money. You know, you are right. throwing, mm-hmm. you, the average American yeah. household wastes almost $2,000 a year on food and waste. Yeah. So, like, they throw away that food. 
Wow. Yeah, and so that's bad enough. I mean, just uh, you could reduce your you could reduce beef consumption by just using it better. Like you know it's just that simple but it runs it's it's this consumerism thing that then runs into this other thing and then ultimately it stops right there because the real culprits on this one is the children themselves the children waste all the food i've seen it with my own self they don't eat their supper it's the children's (laughs) fault they are the biggest wasters of food so this time children it's your fault it really is I, I have a six-year-old and a nine-year-old, and the more that I can blame on them, the better. <laughs> so I, I like that. And yeah, they are big culprits. They're terrible. They, they waste an enormous amount of food. And I'm still trying to figure it out, actually. Like, how can I, how can I plan my meals better so that uh, they don't? Yeah, they don't. We don't throw away so much stuff. It's tricky. Yeah, we've been doing the same thing. We have a nine-year-old, uh, uh, an eight-year-old, and a seven-year-old, actually. So uh, we've, we've been trying to be more aware because you're right. That, that, that's the thing. I really do think if you can just show people, listen, this, like you just said, that's, that, that number, $2,000 a year wasted on food. Like if you can really just show people, uh, you know, the, the common man, the regular person goes, oh, you mean if I just make a little bit of change here, that I get some change, you know, some in my pocket. I think that is the way that, that we have to proceed. I think if we can do stuff like that, just convince people. Like you already, even just with some of your articles, I realize like because uh, I, I have been frustrated with recycling, I get frustrated with that. But uh, I'm going to do it regardless because I just, I just am going to. But it does make me realize why don't, why don't I do my own composting in my backyard at least? Even we don't have a composter or uh, a place to do that. Maybe I could take it to some of the local farms here. But does that work to just put it in your own yard? Does that not release the? Can't you have a composter in your yard? I my my yard is too small for because mm. I live in San Francisco. We you know we don't have yards here. True, um, it's an alien concept. So it's too small for that. And I, I don't know a lot about backyard composting, but I, I do have two suggestions, food waste suggestions. Okay, um, that I, I I think we, we pretty much know work. Um, the first one is like just do this experiment for a week. All right, every time you throw away food, I, I don't mean like. Um, say the the skin of an avocado like i don't mean like stuff you right. can't use i mean stuff that you could have eaten but you didn't like every time you throw away that don't throw it away just put it in a bowl okay so and just live with that bowl for a week and that will show mm. you just like and you know and you can probably do this sort of very crude math in your head and convert that into cash so you can see what you're throwing away so that that can like start the kind of motivational process because it makes it visible. And then the second thing is, and this is like, I I found this super helpful in in my house, is like to spend a bit more time planning meals, which I'll I'll be up front here. This is like, this is not sexy. Like who who wants to sort of sit down and and plan out every single meal? I mean, some people like doing it. I, for me, it just seemed like the most boring middle-aged thing you could possibly do. Um, But my wife and I, we made more of an effort, sat down at the weekend, really mapped out what we were going to eat, what the kids were going to eat. And then we bought just with that in mind. And that really helped us like cut back on those kind of impulse buys and stuff we thought we might try, but we didn't. Um, and, and definitely helped us reduce waste. Yeah, that makes sense. One thing that would really help me, I mean, all this really makes sense to me. I really appreciate the the time today because 
I do have to understand. I mean, I understand that I'm resistant to other people telling me what to do, and especially when they don't, I don't trust them and all of that kind of stuff. So I have to take personal responsibility and do all the things that I can. And one of them, and so I'm willing to, to do more stuff. And one of the things I can do is improve my personal discipline. That doesn't, you know, that, that's just an obvious one that I, at least that's self determined to me. If I, if I can, develop the discipline of having good habits, then I can feel good about that even better than if I paid a carbon tax in my mind. And maybe it does more good. But is there a way, or um, I don't, I'm not that familiar, but there may already be, but it would seem like to me if we could get the average person to talk about carbon um, or something in some kind of units where, you know, like on nutrition facts have like grams of protein or whatever, if we could have some awareness of what that casual flight I took to Palm Springs was versus how many burgers I ate versus what if I use this kind of laundry detergent that's green and says organic on it. Like what is there a quantifiable like unit of measure that we might could just people could get used to and have a language of? So it's not just like people say it's really bad to do this. What do you mean really bad? Yeah, that is. This is a great idea. So uh you know, for most of the products we deal with, we'd be talking about grams of carbon dioxide, uh, which mm-hmm. is like, well, what does that mean? That's kind of like a meaningless number. Um, but you could also say that like grams of protein and, and grams of added sugar were meaningless numbers at one point, but they're not now because we're mm-hmm. used to seeing them. And if you're interested in your food and you read those labels, like, you know, how once to you're calibrated. Yeah. 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 You know, what's a big number, what's a small number. So I think we'll start to see some carbon information on food and it may be, it may be expressed in grams of carbon dioxide. And if it is, I really hope that we'll all become used to looking at it. I think we will. So the one, the thing that gives me hope in this area is that uh, Unilever. So one of the world's biggest collection of food brands has committed to counting the amount of carbon that goes into every single product it sells and to labeling those products to indicate the level of carbon emissions associated with it. So, but what they haven't said is, is that going to be in the form of like grams or is it just going to be some kind of like maybe a traffic like system? Like this is red. That's like a high carbon food or this is green. It's a low carbon food. They haven't, they haven't said how they're going to do it yet, but, but either way to have some kind of signaling, I think would be really helpful and also would spur competition. You know, if you're Mm -hmm. the maker of the ice cream that has like the red symbol on it, uh, you may want to make some changes to your business to get that down. Yeah, just like the organic food has, you know, is if it maybe it's better for people or whatever. But in any case, if it comes to p- consumer preference, then that that can work to everyone's advantage. Yeah. All right, Jim. Well, we really appreciate your time, man. This is great. Uh, thank you for being so uh, enlightening, man. This, this is uh, this when I stumbled upon you on I think it was on Twitter or maybe I was on GreenBiz dot com. Uh, I just started reading some of your stuff, and so I just we just really appreciate your time. Where can folks listening find you, and uh, or where do you want them to go to find out more? Yeah, what uh, action do you support the most? Too is there yeah. a policy thing, or just a you know is there some is do, I, I just sorry I don't know if I didn't get this earlier, but is do you feel this a very personal that everybody is a general awareness thing, or is there some more of a policy ended thing? If you if you had to say one thing that people should do. Well, I actually think the biggest thing that we can do is tell the politicians that represent us, our senators, our representatives, that we care about climate change. 
So you don't even have to advocate for a policy, don't have to advocate for less meat or a carbon tax or any of these things. It's just about showing up, writing a letter, going to a town hall and saying, hey, what are you doing about this? This is real. Climate change is happening. Look at the floods. Look at the wildfires. Look at the hurricanes. What are you going to do about this? Because what that means is that all these politicians right now that are getting a pass, they're not getting pressure to do anything. And there are are many of them. Um, will start to feel the pressure and they will start to adopt solutions. And this isn't a democratic thing. This isn't a left-wing thing. There are plenty of Republican conservative solutions mm-hmm. to climate change. They're different from the democratic ones. That's fine. That's a healthy debate about which solution is best. We should be having that debate. I but at the that. moment, particularly the, the politicians on the right, aren't just feeling the pressure to even think about those solutions. So, yeah, go, go to a town hall now. And, and put your hand up and say what you're doing about climate change. That's the best thing you can do. The the inner conversation from right-wing people, sometimes the right-wing is slow to catch up, but they have good points of view a lot of times that I think are deserve to be at the table and part of solutions. But sometimes they can be behind and something, and then all of a sudden something like gay marriage happens, and they go, oh, yeah, okay, fine, we're caught up, we're good. Anyway, like they, they can get bubbles and pockets, and climate change, I think, is one of those. All they have to do is go, yeah, 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 okay, we're all with it. All right, now we have our solutions and your solutions, and we could get to that. That would be nice, I think, so... I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, and as Toby was asking, what about uh, you know following you and your work? Is there anything you have for people to do or you would like them to do? Yeah, I would love them to subscribe to my newsletter. That's the main thing. So um, if you go to greenbiz.com, so greenbiz is the company that publishes Food Weekly, and uh, you should see a link at the bottom of the screen or somewhere on that page. It'll take you to our newsletter page and then do subscribe to Food Weekly. Do check out uh, Verge, which is the big conference we've got coming up in October. Um, a big chunk of that, all our, everything that's on the main stage at Verge, which is completely virtual this year, is totally free to access. So you can just drop cool. in and check out some of the, the presentations there. Great. Well, thank you for helping us be more aware of our food and the, our food system that we participate in and make up and, and you know, off, a lot of us often don't think about it. So help! thank you for helping us uh, think about it and put some awareness on it today. No, thank you. It's been a real pleasure, and I really appreciate you having me on and, and taking the time to talk about this stuff. Thanks, Jim. Okay, Toby, you going vegan? Huh, my daughter wants to go vegetarian, and she keeps asking us, and we're like, yeah, you know, we, we you know, uh, you know, but then I'll slip her some pepperoni or something. <laughs> she likes it, you know, uh, on her pizza and uh, – there is part of me, I can see, we, we were making this point about animal cruelty. That's the number one one for sure. And then I do think the cow farts and all that stuff are detrimental and to the world. I, <laughs> you believe in the cow farts. I, okay. I do now. You're I do, not a I, cow fart I, denier. Okay. I, do, I do believe, yeah, I'm not a cow fart denier. But I, it is, it's going to be extremely hard for me to change for meat just because my diet consists of it. And I actually think it's pretty healthy. Like I, I, I don't always... I don't know. If I see people going plant based, and I've tried to do plant based before. And Fuck plants, but I don't know if it's just eating it only. It's the same way as like you know telling a, a lion they should go to start eating corn or something. Yeah, maybe I'm just I, I do eat meat. I'm an animal on this planet that eats meat, and that, and it's it's bad. But some you know some we go oh, you know this is really bad. It's doing this. I just think technology is going to save us. 
is what I think. I'm hoping well, you, it will. It's your hope, yeah. yeah I, hope I don't know that you can change hope. the consumption anyway, but I, I, I have a hard time believing that individual... Okay, okay, you can't get anybody to wear a mask. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, it's not going to be solved through consumption. Right. It's not... That isn't... That's... Like, it's symbolic. It's important. Right. It's fine. It's fine. I know. I know. But it's not going to be consumption. Like... Due to guilt, right? That's not you're not going to feel guilty enough to save the planet by not eating something. Mm -hmm. Not, it, it, of course not. You won't even avoid the absolute uh, terror that you cause the animal and the suffering that you cause to it that you know about. Right? You won't even not eat it to to avoid that. Right? I mean, you're not and so to some something like it's just not. You're not going to convince people. They won't wear masks. Yeah, I, I know. mean. But, so it's not going to be about that. But well, and on the other hand, when you start lying, not that Jim's lying or anything like that, but I'm saying when the people start pressuring you, then you start to even get. That's why you go anti-mask, right? Well, because you you know you feel like that's not that's not that's not fair. That's not right. But to act like well, we're not supposed to eat meat, which right. he's not doing. That's no, what I'm no. saying. But that's 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 why he's great because it's trying to look at the big picture. Right. But. <clears throat> It, you can't tell me that we're not supposed to eat meat. Like, that's absurd. It's a natural thing that you have this very distinct craving for. Right. It's in. It's the most nutrient, caloric, dense f thing that you could find that was obviously available for humans at all points and it's probably what led to their next steps in evolution and caloric consumption to make their brains big. And it tastes super good. You you. Body processes it good. You smell it's not it like cooking. I know you're attracted to Skittles too, right. but those aren't natural. Right. Like of course, of course, that hits all your sensors and whatever, and so you you know you you feel that way about Skittles. But meat is the very natural thing that both crave you can crave, smell, and when you eat it, you're satiated and right. you're nourished highly. You can't act like humans are supposed to eat it. Right. No, that's, I, I that's know. A, that's, a, that's the craziest thing I've ever but, heard. But only a probably humans are supposed to eat it, but maybe humans were not supposed to be this many of us or de destroying the right. planet that way. Sure. That's why I Absolutely. like what, what Jim was yeah. saying. Jim yeah. is taking a pretty balanced approach. Have ownership of what you eat and be aware of it and don't, mm -hmm. you know, don't get the cheapest thing that you can get. And I, but it's hard that our society now, especially in this America we live in, it's based on super cheap food. And like we were talking to Jess's mom a while back and she was like, yeah, we just didn't eat. We didn't have, we couldn't afford the meat as much. We had all these vegetables and stuff that we would eat and greens and stuff like that. And then we'd have a nice roast or something that had to last for a while because we just didn't have money for it. And I was like, so people are eating more meat probably than ever now because it's a very affordable. And like you said, it tastes so good. And, and, but I do think of it as healthy, but I do think there is a coming a reckoning to an, a sense. I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime, but I, I, I do think there's a reckoning of, we have to take ownership of even just what we eat because the future isn't going to be as good. I mean, it, it's going to be bad for people in the future if we don't do some things now. Yeah, absolutely. There's lots to talk about, but that's overall humans can't. I mean, who's really thinking really down the road about the species, especially right, in right, times right. like this? It's not. That's not what anybody's really able to do. They're just going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. So, yeah. but that doesn't I mean it doesn't <laughs> have the effects no. that it does. But I mean, just think about kings and stuff in all the pre. Societies to this, where this agricultural societies, where 
the warriors and the kings are definitely eating the meat yeah. and the fat. Like, that's what they're eating. And then they're telling the people about all this agriculture. Right, right. <laughs> like, ooh. You know, so when we built the food pyramid and all that, it's like, okay, we've got to feed 300 million people in right. soon enough. And we're going to have to get the grain. Yeah, The grain is good for you. Like, it's just that. No, that's you can store it. That's a good thing. You right. Can, you know, there's lots of good things about agriculture. But, you know, anybody that could ever have meat would. Yeah. How, well, how wouldn't they? That's that's ridiculous. Well, it's a know? jacked up system. We're even talking about the farmers, farmer suicide. Talking about far, you know, that what what's happening. All the rate. I mean, all of it. We just have a once again a really screwed up system that isn't. It's it's about now, not about the future. And that's yeah. that's what it is. So. Okay, so join the BC Club, everybody. If you haven't done, please it, join today. Maybe now's the time. We I'll are, give you a thumbs up when you join on Facebook. Uh, you can go to thebcclub.com and come join the rest of us. It's a big group of people who have, uh, you know, found their way to kind of a self-determined life, independent, mm-hmm. outsider lifestyle. Rebels. They figured out their way through and kind of overcome some of their groupthink past. And if, you know, that's just a big group of people that talk about shit, yep. get along mostly, you know. Some you gotta, of them eat meat, some of them don't. I don't, don't. It, it's, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Some of them eat sugar. Some of them don't. I mean, some of them don't. you can find anything, any type of eater that you want to be a part of that group. You can find it in <laughs> the BC club. Whatever you want. Some people exercise. Some people don't. Yeah, you're right. All right. Join the BC club. Let's get out of here. It's been real, y'all. I'm going to go make a big juicy burger. No, I'm not. I can't wait to eat uh, a, a flesh made in a lab burger. What is it now? Hundred? And he says like a hundred dollars or something like. That. He had a nugget. He saw a nugget. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. It'll get down. I wonder though if there'd be people who won't uh, like it because there's no cruelty involved. <laughs> like Westworld. It's I just like, thought, well, I can't, yeah. It just doesn't taste the it's, same. It, right. I need right. cruelty. Yeah. Like I need a my meat killer with a doesn't want to kill a fake person, a lab-grown person. Ah, they want a real one. I know. Oh, good lord. You think? Do you think? You know, Jeffrey Dahmer would have liked it if he could have eaten the head of that guy if it was a lab-grown head? No. <laughs> Can a good man do bad things? Can he hurt someone he loves more than anything?
and he find God when he's dying? Can he hold the memories in his hand? Can redemption carry him into the promised land? 